More than a hundred miles away, Mr. Fusel Johnson knew nothing about Tiffany, Naniog, or indeed anything very much except for clocks and watches, which he made for a living. He also knew how to lime wash a kitchen, which was an easy and cheap way to get a nice white look, even if the stuff was a bit runny. And therefore he had no idea why several handfuls of the white powder fountained up out of the mixing bowl before he could add the water, hung in the air for a moment like a ghost, and vanished up the chimney. In the end, he put it down to too many trolls moving into the area. This wasn't very logical, but such beliefs generally aren't. And the wintersmith thought, lime enough to make a man. That night, Tiffany sat up with Anagramma and old Mr. Tissot, except that he was lying down because he was dead. Tiffany had never liked watching over the dead. It wasn't exactly something you could like. It was always a relief when the sky turned grey and the birds started to sing. Sometimes in the night, Mr. Tissot made little noises, except, of course, it wasn't Mr. Tissot who'd met death hours ago. It was just the body he'd left behind, and the sounds it made were really no different from the noises made by an old house as it cooled down. It was important to remember these things around two o'clock in the morning, vitally important when the candle flickered. Anagramma snored. No one with a nose that small should be able to make a snore that loud. It was like ripping planks. Whatever evil spirits might be around on this night, that sound would probably scare them away. It wasn't the part that was so bad, and Tiffany could live with the It was the gap between them. After the had wound up, but before the long letdown of the that really got on her nerves. It was never the same length twice. Sometimes there was one right after the other. Then there might be such a huge gap after the that Tiffany found herself holding her breath while she waited for the It wouldn't have been so bad if Anagramma had stuck to one length of pause. Sometimes she stopped altogether, and it was a blessed silence until a festival of began, usually with a faint lip-smacking sound as Anagramma shifted position in her chair. Where are you, flower lady? What are you? You should be sleeping. The voice was so faint that Tiffany might not have heard it at all if she hadn't been all tensed up waiting for the next... And here it came. Let me show you my world, flower lady. Let me show you all the colours of ice. About three quarters of Tiffany thought, Oh no, will he find me if I reply? No, if he could find me, he'd be here. My hand isn't itching. The other quarter thought, A god or godlike being is talking to me, and I could really do without the snoring anagramma, thank you so much. I said I was sorry, she whispered into the dancing candlelight. I saw the iceberg. It was very, um, nice of you. I have made many more. Many more icebergs, thought Tiffany. Great big, freezing, floating mountains that looked like me, dragging fog banks and snowstorms behind them. I wonder how many ships will run into them. You shouldn't have gone to all that trouble, she whispered. Now I am growing stronger. I am listening and learning. I am understanding, humans. Outside the cottage window, a thrush began to sing. Tiffany blew out the candle, and a grey light crept into the room. Listening and learning. How could a blizzard understand things? Tiffany, flower lady, I am making myself a man. There was a complicated grunting as anagrammas and 
ran into each other, and she woke up. Ah, she said, stretching her arms and yawning. She looked around. Well, that seemed to go well. Tiffany stared at the wall. What did he mean, making himself a man? Surely he— You didn't fall asleep, did you, Tiffany? said Anagramma, in what she probably thought was a playful voice. Not even for one tiny little second. What? said Tiffany, glaring at the wall. Oh, no, I didn't. People were moving around downstairs. After a while there was a creaking on the stairs, and the low door was pushed open. A middle-aged man, looking sheepishly at the floor, uttered, Mab says, would you ladies like some breakfast? Oh, no, we couldn't possibly take what little you have, Anagramma began. Yes, please, we will be grateful, said Tiffany, louder and quicker. The man nodded and shut the door. Oh, how could you say that, said Anagramma, as his footsteps creaked down. These are poor people. I thought you would— Shut up, will you, snapped Tiffany. Just shut up and wake up. These are real people. They're not some kind of— of— of idea. We will go down there, and we will eat breakfast, and we'll say how good it is, and then we will thank them, and they will thank us, and we will go, and that will mean everyone has done the right thing by custom, and that will be what's important to them. Besides, they don't think they're poor, because everyone around here is poor, but they're not so poor they can't afford to do the right things. That would be poor. Anagramma was staring at her with her mouth open. Be careful what you say next, said Tiffany, breathing heavily. In fact, don't say anything. Breakfast was ham and eggs. It was eaten in polite silence. After that, in the same silence except that it was outdoors, they flew back to what people would probably always think of as Miss Treason's cottage. There was a small boy loitering outside. As soon as they landed, he blurted out, Mrs. Obble says the baby's on the way, and she said you'd give me a penny for going. You have got a bag, haven't you? said Tiffany, turning to Anagramma. Yes, a lots. I mean a call-out bag. You know, you keep it by the door with everything in it that you'll need if... Tiffany saw the terrified look on the girl's face. Okay, so you haven't got a bag. We'll just have to do the best we can. Give him a penny and let's go. Can we get anyone to help if it goes wrong? Anagramma asked as they left the ground. We are the help, said Tiffany simply. And since this is your steading, I'm giving you the really tough job. Which was keeping Mrs. Obble occupied. Mrs. Obble wasn't a witch, although most people thought she was. She looked like one. That is, she looked like someone who'd bought everything in the Boffo catalogue on the day of the special offer on Harry Warts, and she was mildly crazy, and should not have been allowed within a mile of any mother who was going to have her first baby, since she would very conscientiously tell them, or cackle at them anyway, about all the things that could go wrong in a way that made it sound as if they would all go wrong. She wasn't a bad nurse, though, once you stopped her from putting a leaf-mould poultice on everything. Things went noisily, and with a certain amount of fuss, but nothing like Mrs. Obble had predicted, and the result was a baby boy, who was not a bouncing baby, but only because Tiffany caught him. Anagramma didn't know how to hold babies. She did look good in a pointy hat, though, and since she was clearly older than Tiffany and did hardly any of the work, the other women assumed she was in charge. Tiffany left her holding the baby, the right way up this time, and looking proud, and began the long flight back through the woods to Tia Nanny Og. It was a crisp evening, but there was a bit of wind that blew stinging snow crystals off the trees. It was an exhausting journey and very, very cold. He can't know where I am, she repeated to herself as she flew back in the dusk, and he's not very clever. 
Winter has to end sometime, right? Er, uh, how? said her second thoughts. Miss Tick said you just have to be there, but surely you have to do something else. I suppose I'll have to walk around with my shoes off, Tiffany thought. Everywhere, her second thoughts wondered, as she swerved between the trees. It's probably like being a queen, her third thoughts said. She just has to sit in a palace and maybe do a bit of driving around in a big coach and waving, and all over a huge kingdom, monarching is going on. But as she avoided more trees, she also tried to avoid the little scurrying thought that was trying to creep into her mind. Sooner or later, one way or the other, he will find you. And how can he make himself a man? Assistant Postmaster Grote did not believe in doctors. They made you ill, he thought. So he put sulphur in his socks every morning, and he was proud to say that he had never had a day's illness in his life. This may have been because not many people dared to come very close to him because of the smell. Something did, though. A gale roared into his post office when he was opening the door one morning and blew his socks clean off. This was reported in the newspapers, and shortly afterward a widow wrote to him saying how much she admired a man who really understood about hygiene. They later were seen walking together, so it's an ill wind, as they say. And no one heard the wintersmith say, Sulphur enough to make a man. Nanny Og was sitting by the fire when Tiffany came in, stamping snow off her boots. You look frozen all through, Nanny said. You need a glass of hot milk with a drop of brandy in it, that's what you need. Oh, yes, Tiffany managed through chattering teeth. Get me one too, then, will you? said Nanny. Only joking. You get warmed up, I'll see to the drink. Tiffany's feet felt like blocks of ice. She knelt by the fire and stretched out her hand to the stockpot on its big black hook. It bubbled all the time. Get your mind right and balance. Reach out and cup your hands around it and concentrate. Concentrate on your freezing boots. After a while, her toes felt warm, and then... Ow! Tiffany pulled her hands away and sucked at her fingers. Didn't have your mind right, said Nanny Og from the doorway. Well, you know, that's just a bit difficult when you've had a long day and you didn't sleep much and the wintersmith is looking for you, snapped Tiffany. The fire doesn't care, said Nanny, shrugging. Hot milk coming up. Things were a little better when Tiffany had warmed up. She wondered how much brandy Nanny had added to the milk. Nanny had done one for herself, with probably some milk added to the brandy. Isn't this nice and cosy? said Nanny after a while. Is this going to be the talk about sex? said Tiffany. Did anyone say there was going to be one? said Nanny innocently. I kind of got the feeling, said Tiffany, and I know where babies come from, Mrs. Ogg. I should hope so. I know how they get there, too. I live on a farm, and I've got a lot of older sisters. Ah, right, said Nanny. Well, I see you're pretty well prepared for life, then. Not much left for me to tell you, I expect. And I've never had a god pay any attention to me, as far as I can recall. Flattered, are you? No. Tiffany looked into Nanny's smile. Well, a bit, she admitted. And frightened of him? Yes. Well, the poor thing hasn't quite got it right yet. He started off so well with the ice roses and everything. And then he wanted to show you his muscles. Typical. But you shouldn't be frightened of him. He should be frightened of you. Why? Because I'm pretending to be the flower woman. Because you're a girl. It's a poor lookout if a bright girl can't wind a boy around her little finger. He's smitten with you. You could make his life a misery with a word. Why? 
When I was a girl, a young man nearly threw himself off the Lanker Bridge because I spurned his advances. He did? What happened? I unspurned him. Well, he looked so pretty standing there, and I thought, that's a good-looking bum on him if ever I saw one. Nanny sat back. And think about poor old Grebo. He'll fight anything. But Esme's little white kitten leapt straight at him, and now the poor dear won't come into this room without peering round the door to check she's not here. You should see his poor little face when he does, too. It's all wrinkled up. Of course, he could tear into bits with one claw, but he can't now, because she's fixed his head. You're not saying I should try to tear the wintersmith's face off, are you? No, no. You don't have to be as blunt as that. Give him a little hope. Be kind but firm. He wants to marry me. Good. Good? That means he wants to stay friendly. Don't say no. Don't say yes. Act like a queen. He's got to learn to show you some respect. What are you doing? Writing this down, said Tiffany, scribbling in her diary. You don't need to write it down, love, said Nanny. It's written down in you somewhere. On a page you haven't read yet, I reckon. Which reminds me. These came when you were out. Nanny fished down among the seat cushions and pulled out a couple of envelopes. My boy Sean is the postman, so he knew you'd moved. Tiffany nearly snatched them out of her hand. Two letters. Like him, do you? You're a young man in the castle, said Nanny. He's a friend who writes to me, said Tiffany haughtily. That's right. That's just the look and voice you need for dealing with the wintersmith, said Nanny, looking delighted. Who does he think he is, daring to talk to you? That's the way. I shall read them in my room, said Tiffany. Nanny nodded. One of the girls did us a lovely casserole, she said. Famously, Nanny never remembered the names of her daughters-in-law. Yours is in the oven. I'm off to the pub. Early start tomorrow. Alone in her room, Tiffany read the first letter. To the unaided eye, not much happened on the chalk. It had avoided history. It was a place of small things. Tiffany enjoyed reading about them. The second letter seemed to be much the same as the first one, until the bit about the ball. He'd gone to a ball? It was at the house of Lord Diver, who was a neighbour. He'd danced with his daughter, who was called Iodine, because Lord Diver thought that it was a nice name for a girl. They'd had three dances, and ice cream. Iodine had shown him her watercolours. How could he sit there and write such things? Tiffany's eyes moved on, over the everyday news, like the bad weather and what had happened to old Aggie's leg, but the words didn't enter her head because it was on fire. Who did he think he was, dancing with another girl? You danced with the wintersmith, her third thought said. All right, but what about the watercolours? The wintersmith showed you the snowflakes, said her third thoughts. But I was just being polite. Perhaps he was just being polite, too. All right, but I know those aunts, Tiffany thought furiously. They've never liked me because I'm only a farm girl, and Lord Diver's very rich and his daughter is his only child. They're scheming. How could he sit there and write as if eating ice cream with another girl was a perfectly normal thing to do? That was as bad as... as... well, something pretty bad at least. As for looking at her watercolours... He's just a boy you happen to write to, said her third thoughts. Yes, well... Yes, well, what? Her third thoughts persisted. They were getting on Tiffany's nerves. Your own brains ought to have the decency to be on your side. Just, yes, well, okay, she thought angrily. You're not being very sensible about this. Oh, really? Well, I've been sensible all day. I've been sensible for years. 
I think I'm owed five minutes of being really unreasonably angry, don't you? There's some casserole downstairs, and you haven't eaten since breakfast, said her third thoughts. You'll feel better after you've eaten something. How can I eat stew when people are looking at watercolours? How dare he look at watercolours? But her third thoughts were right. Not that this made things any better. If you're going to be angry and miserable, you might as well be so on a full stomach. She went downstairs and found the casserole in the oven. It smelled good. Nothing but the best for dear old mum. She opened the cutlery drawer for a spoon. The drawer stuck. She rattled it, pulled at it, and swore a few times, but it stayed stuck. Oh, yes, go ahead, said a voice behind her. See how much help that is. Don't be sensible and stick your hand under the top and carefully free up the stuck item. Oh, no. Rattle and curse, that's the way. Tiffany turned. There was a skinny, tired-looking woman standing by the kitchen table. She seemed to be wearing a sheet draped around her and was smoking a cigarette. Tiffany had never seen a woman smoke a cigarette before, but especially never a cigarette that burned with a fat red flame and gave off sparks. Who are you, and what are you doing in Mrs. Ogg's kitchen? Tiffany said sharply. This time it was the woman who looked surprised. You can hear me, she said, and see me. Yes, Tiffany snarled. And this is a food preparation area, you know. You're not supposed to be able to see me. Well, I'm looking at you. Hold on a minute, said the woman, frowning at Tiffany. You're not just a human, are you? She squinted oddly for a moment and then said, Oh, you're her. Am I right? The new summer? Never mind me. Who are you? said Tiffany. And it was only one dance. Annoyer, goddess of things that get stuck in drawers, said the woman. Pleased to meet you. She took another puff at the flaming cigarette, and there were more sparks. Some of them dropped on the floor, but didn't seem to do any damage. There's a goddess just for that, said Tiffany. Well, I find lost corkscrews and things that roll under furniture, said Annoyer offhandedly. Sometimes things that get lost under sofa cushions, too. They want me to do stuck zippers, and I'm thinking about that. But mostly, I manifest whensoever people rattle stuck drawers and call upon the gods. She puffed on her cigarette. Got any tea? But I didn't call on anyone. You did, said Anoya, blowing more sparks. You cussed. Sooner or later, every curse is a prayer. She waved the hand that wasn't holding the cigarette, and something in the drawer went pling. It'll be all right now. It was the egg slicer. Everyone has one, and no one knows why. Did anyone in the world ever knowingly go out one day and buy an egg slicer? I don't think so. Tiffany tried the drawer. It slid out easily. About that tea, said Anoya, sitting down. Tiffany put the kettle on. You know about me, she asked. Oh, yes, said Anoya. It's been quite some time since a god fell in love with a mortal. Everyone wants to see how it turns out. Fell in love? Oh, yes. And you mean the gods are watching? Well, of course, said Anoya. Most of the big ones don't do anything else these days. But I'm supposed to do zippers, oh yes, and my hands get very stiff in this weather. Tiffany glanced at the ceiling, which was now full of smoke. They're watching all the time, she said, aghast. I heard you're getting more interest than the war in Clatchy's stand, and that was pretty popular, said Anoya, holding out her red hands. Look, chillblains, not that they care, of course. Even when I'm having a... wash, said Tiffany. The goddess laughed nastily. Yeah, and they can see in the dark too. Best not to think about it. Tiffany looked up at the ceiling again. She'd been hoping for a bath tonight. I'll try not to, 
she said darkly, and added, Is it hard being a goddess? It has its good days, said Anoya. She stood with her cigarette arm cupped at the elbow by her other hand, holding the flaming, sparking thing close to her face. Now she took a sharp pull, raised her head, and blew a cloud of smoke out to join the smog on the ceiling. Sparks fell out of it like rain. I haven't been doing draws long. I used to be a volcano goddess. Really, said Tiffany, I'd never have guessed. Oh, yeah, it was good work, apart from the screaming, said Anoya, and then added in a bitter tone of voice, ha, and the god of storms was always raining on my lava. That's men for you, dear. They rain on your lava. And look at watercolours, said Tiffany. Anoya's eyes narrowed. Someone else's watercolours? Yes. Men. They're all the same, said Anoya. Take my advice, dear, and show Mr. Wintersmith the door. He's only an elemental after all. Tiffany glanced at the door. Give him the boots, dear. Send him packing and change the locks. Let's have summer all year round like the hot countries do. Grapes all over the place, eh? Coconuts on every tree. Ha! When I was in the volcano game, I couldn't move for mangoes. Kiss goodbye to snow and fog and slush. Have you got the thingy yet? The thingy? said Tiffany, looking worried. It'll turn up, I dare say, said Anoya. I hear it can be a bit tricky to wear. Oh, oops, I hear rattling, must fly. Don't worry, I won't tell him where you are. She vanished. So did the smoke. Not knowing what else to do, Tiffany ladled out a plate of hearty meat and vegetables and ate it. So, she could see gods now, and they knew about her, and everyone wanted to give her advice. It was not a good idea to come to the attention of those in high places, her father had said. But it was impressive. In love with her, eh? And telling everyone. But he was really an elemental, not a proper god at all. All he knew was how to move wind and water around. Even so, ha! Huh. Some people have elementals running after them. Oh, yes, how about that? If people were stupid enough to dance around with girls who painted watercolours to lead honest men to their doom, well... She could be haughty to people who were almost gods. She ought to mention that in a letter. Except, of course, that she wasn't going to be writing to him now. <laughs> and a few miles away, old mother Blackcap, who made her own soap out of her animal fat and potash, made, indeed, from plant ashes, felt a bar of soap snatched from her hand just as she was about to boil some sheets. The tub of water froze solid, too. Being a witch, she immediately said, there's a strange thief about. And the wintersmith said, Potash enough to make a man. Chapter 8 The Horn of Plenty That night, after Nanny Og had gone to bed, Tiffany did have the bath that she'd been looking forward to. This was not something to be taken lightly. First, the tin bath had to be fetched from its hook on the back of the privy, which was at the bottom of the garden and dragged through the dark, freezing night to a place of honour in front of the fire. Then kettles had to be heated over the fire and on the black kitchen stove, and getting even six inches of warm water was an effort. Afterward, the water all had to be scooped out and into the sink, and the bath moved into a corner, ready to be taken outside in the morning. When you had to do all that, you might as well scrub every inch. Tiffany did one extra thing. She wrote, Private on a piece of cardboard, and wedged it in the hanging lamp in the centre of the room, so that it could be read only from above. She wasn't sure it would put off any inquisitive gods, but she felt better for doing it. That night she slept without dreaming. 
In the morning, Snow had put a fresh coating on the drifts, and a couple of Nanny Og's grandchildren were building her a snowman on the lawn. They came in after a while and demanded a carrot for the nose and two lumps of coal for the eyes. Nanny took her to the isolated village of Slice, where people were always glad and surprised to see someone they weren't related to. Nanny Og ambled from cottage to cottage along the paths cut in the snow, drinking enough cups of tea to float an elephant and doing witchcraft in small ways. Mostly it seemed to just consist of gossip, but once you got the hang of it you could hear the magic happening. Nanny Og changed the way people thought, even if it was only for a few minutes. She left people thinking they were slightly better people. They weren't, but, as Nanny Og said, it gave them something to live up to. Then there was another night without dreams, but Tiffany woke up with a snap at half-past five, feeling odd. She rubbed the frost off the window and saw the snowman by moonlight. Why do we do it? she wondered. As soon as there's snow, we build snowmen. We do worship the wintersmith in a way. We make the snow human. We give him coal eyes and a carrot nose to bring him alive. Oh, and I see the children gave him a scarf. That's what a snowman needs, a scarf to keep him warm. She went down into the silent kitchen, and for want of anything else to do, she scrubbed the table. Doing something with her hands helped her think. Something had changed, and it was her. She'd been worrying about what he would do and what he would think, as if she were just a leaf being blown about by the wind. She dreaded hearing his voice in her head, where he had no right to be. Well, not now. Not any more. He ought to be worried about her. Yes, she'd made a mistake. Yes, it was her fault. But she wasn't going to be bullied. You couldn't let boys go around raining on your lava and ogling other people's watercolours. Find the story, Granny Weatherwax always said. She believed that the world was full of story shapes. If you let them, they controlled you. But if you studied them, if you found out about them, you could use them, you could change them. Miss Treason had known all about stories, yes. She'd spun them like a spiderweb to give herself power. And they worked because people wanted to believe them. And Nanny Og told a story too. Fat, jolly Nanny Og who liked to drink, and another drink, thank you kindly, and was everyone's favourite grandmother. But those twinkling little eyes could bore into your head and read all your secrets. Even Granny Aching had a story. She'd lived in the old shepherding hut high on the hills, listening to the wind blowing over the turf. She was mysterious, alone, and the stories floated up and gathered around her, all those stories about her finding lost lambs, even though she was dead, all those stories about her still watching over people. People wanted the world to be a story, because stories had to sound right and they had to make sense. People wanted the world to make sense. Well, her story wasn't going to be the story of a little girl who got pushed around. There was no sense in that. Except, he's not actually bad. The gods in the mythology, they seemed to get the hang of being human, a bit too human sometimes. But how could a snowstorm or a gale ever find out? He was dangerous and scary, but you couldn't help feeling sorry for him. Someone hammered on Nanny Og's back door. It turned out to be a tall figure in black. Wrong house, said Tiffany. No one here is even a bit sick. A hand raised the black hood, and from its depths a voice hissed, It's me, Anna Grandma. Is she in? Mrs. Og's not up yet, said Tiffany. Good. Can I come in? At the kitchen table, over a cup of warming tea, Anna Grandma revealed all. Life in the woods was not going well. 
Two men came to see me about some stupid cow they both think they own, she said. That'll be Joe Broomsocket and Shifty Adams. I left you a note about them too, said Tiffany. Whenever one or other of them gets drunk, they argue about that cow. What am I supposed to do about it? Nod and smile. Wait until the cow dies, Miss Treason always said. Or one of the men, said Tiffany. It's the only way. And a woman came to see me with a sick pig. What did you do about it? I told her I don't do pigs. But she burst into tears, so I tried Bangle's Universal Nostrum on it. You used that on a pig, said Tiffany, shocked. Well, the pig witch uses magic, so I don't see why... Anagramma began defensively. She knows what works, said Tiffany. It was perfectly all right when I got it down out of the tree. She didn't have to make all that fuss. I'm sure the bristles will grow back in time. It wasn't a spotted pig, was it? And a woman with a squint, Tiffany asked. Yes, I think so. Does that matter? Mrs. Stumper is very attached to that pig, said Tiffany reproachfully. She brings him up to the cottage about once a week. It's usually just an upset stomach. She feeds him too much. Really? Then I won't open the door to her next time, said Anagramma firmly. No, let her in. Really? It's all just because she's lonely and wants to chat. Well, I should think I've got better things to do with my time than listen to an old lady who just wants to talk, said Anagramma indignantly. Tiffany looked at her. Where did you start, apart from banging the girl's head on the table until the brain started working? Listen very carefully, she said. I mean to her, not just to me. You've got no better use of your time than to listen to old ladies who want to talk. Everyone tells things to witches, so listen to everyone and don't say much, and think about what they say and how they say it and watch their eyes. It becomes like a big jigsaw puzzle, but you're the only one who can see all the pieces. You'll know what they want you to know, and what they don't want you to know, and even what they think no one knows. That's why we go around the houses. That's why you will go around the houses until you're part of their lives. All this just to get some power over a crowd of farmers and peasants. Tiffany spun around and kicked a chair so hard that it broke a leg. Anagramma backed away quickly. What did you do that for? You're clever. You guess. Oh, I, I forgot. Your father is a shepherd. Good. You remembered. Tiffany hesitated. Certainty was pouring into her brain courtesy of her third thoughts. Suddenly she knew Anagramma. And your father? she asked. What? Anagramma instinctively drew herself up. Oh, he owns several farms. Liar. Well, perhaps I should say he is a farmer, the girl began, nervousness beginning to show. Liar. Anagramma backed away. How dare you talk to me like... How dare you not tell me the truth? In the pause that opened, Tiffany heard everything. The faint crackle of wood in the stove, the sound of mice in the cellar, her own breathing roaring like the sea in the cave. He works for a farmer, all right, said Anagramma quickly, and then looked shocked at her own words. We don't have any land. We don't even own a cottage. That's the truth if you want it. Happy now? No, but thank you, said Tiffany. Are you going to tell the others? No, it doesn't matter. But Granny Weatherwax wants you to make a mess of all this, do you understand? She's got nothing against you. Tiffany hesitated, then went on. I mean, nothing more than she has against everyone. 
She just wants people to see that Mrs. Earwig's style of witchcraft doesn't work. This is just like her. She's not said a word against you. She's just let you have exactly what you wanted. It's like a story. Everyone knows that if you get exactly what you wish for, it all goes bad. And you wished for a cottage. And you're going to mess it up. I just need another day or two to get the hang. Why? You're a witch with a cottage. You're supposed to be able to deal with it. Why take it on if you couldn't do it? You're supposed to be able to deal with it, sheep girl. Why take it on if you couldn't do it? So you're not going to help me? Anagramma glared at Tiffany, and then her expression, most unusually, softened a bit, and she said, Are you all right? Tiffany blinked. It's horrible to have your own voice echo back at you from the other side of your mind. Look, I haven't got time, she said weakly. Maybe the others can help out. I don't want them to know. Panic cut curves on Anagramma's face. She can do magic, Tiffany thought. She's just not good at witchcraft. She'll make a mess of it. She'll make a mess of people. She gave in. All right, I can probably spare some time. There's not many chores to do at Tiananyog, and I'll explain things to the others. They'll have to know. They'll probably help. You learn fast. You could pick up the basic stuff in a week or so. Tiffany watched Anagramma's face. She was actually thinking about it. If she were drowning and you threw her a rope, she'd complain if it was the wrong colour. Well, if they're just helping me, Anagramma said, brightening up, you could almost admire the girl for the way she could rearrange the real world in her head. Another story, thought Tiffany. It's all about Anagramma. Yes, we'll be helping you, she sighed. Perhaps we could even tell people that you girls are coming to me to learn things, said Anagramma, hopefully. People said that you should always count up to ten before losing your temper. But if it was Anagramma you were dealing with, you had to know some bigger numbers, like perhaps a million. No, said Tiffany, I don't think we'll do that. You are the one doing the learning. Anagramma opened her mouth to argue, saw the look on Tiffany's face, and decided not to. Eh, uh, yes, she said. Of course. Ah, uh, thank you. That was a surprise. They probably will help, said Tiffany. It won't look good if one of us fails. To her amazement, the girl really was crying. It's just that I didn't really think they were my friends. I don't like her, said Petulia, who was knee-deep in pigs. She calls me the pigwitch. Well, you are a pigwitch, said Tiffany, who was standing outside the pig pen. The big shed was full of pigs. The noise was nearly as bad as the smell. Fine snow, like dust, was falling outside. Yes. But when she says it, there's a good deal too much pig and not enough witch, said Petulia. Every time she opens her mouth, I think I've done something wrong. She waved a hand in a pig's face and muttered a few words. The animal's eyes crossed and it opened its mouth. It got a large dose of green liquid from a bottle. We can't just leave her to struggle, said Tiffany. People might get hurt. Well, that wouldn't be our fault, would it? said Petulia, dosing another pig. She cupped her hands and shouted over the din to a man at the other end of the pens. Fred, this lot's done. Then she climbed out of the pen, and Tiffany saw that she'd got her dress tucked up to her waist and was wearing a pair of heavy leather breeches under it. They're making a real fuss this morning, she said. Sounds like they're getting a bit frisky. Frisky, said Tiffany. Oh, yes. Listen, you can hear the boars yelling in their shed, said Petulia. They can smell the spring. But it's not even hog's watch yet. It's the day after tomorrow. Anyway, the springtime sleeps under the snow, my dad always says, said Petulia, washing her hands in a bucket. 
no ums, said Tiffany's third thoughts. When she's working, Petulia never says um. She's certain of things when she's working. She stands up straight. She's in charge. Look, it will be our fault if we can see something wrong and don't do anything about it, said Tiffany. Oh, anagrammer again, said Petulia. She shrugged. Look, I can go over there maybe once a week after Hogswatch and show her some of the basic stuff. Will that make you happy? I'm sure she'll be grateful. I'm sure she won't be. Have you asked any of the others? No, I thought that if they knew you'd agreed, they probably would too, said Tiffany. Ha! Well, I suppose that at least we can say we tried. You know, I used to think Anagramma was really clever because she knew a lot of words and could do sparkly spells. But show her a sick pig and she's useless. Tiffany told her about Mrs. Stumper's pig, and Petulia looked shocked. We can't have that sort of thing, she said. In a tree? Perhaps I'll try to drop in this afternoon, then. She hesitated. You know Granny Weatherwax won't be happy about this. Do we want to be caught between her and Mrs. Earwig? Are we doing the right thing or not, said Tiffany. Anyway, what's the worst she could do to us? Petulia gave a short laugh with no humour in it at all. Well, she said, first she could make our... She won't. I wish I was as sure as you, said Petulia. All right, then, for Mrs. Stumper's pig. Tiffany flew above the treetops, and the occasional high twig brushed against her boots. There was just enough winter sunshine to make the snow crisp and glittery, like a frosted cake. It had been a busy morning. The coven hadn't been very interested in helping Anagramma. The coven itself seemed a long time ago. It had been a busy winter. Well, all we did was muck about while Anagramma bossed us around, Dimity Hubbub had said, while grinding minerals and very carefully tipping them, a bit at a time, into a tiny pot being heated by a candle. Ah, I'm too busy to mess around with magic. It never did anything useful. You know her trouble. She thinks you can be a witch by buying enough things. She just needs to learn how to deal with people, said Tiffany. At this point, the pot exploded. Well, I think we can safely say that wasn't your everyday toothache cure, said Dimity, picking bits of pot out of her hair. All right, I can spare the odd day if Petulia's doing it, but it won't do much good. Lucy Warbeck was lying full length and fully clothed in a tin bath full of water when Tiffany came by. Her head was all the way under the surface, but when she saw Tiffany peering in, she held up a sign saying, I'm not drowning. Miss Tick had said she would make a good witchfinder, so she was training hard. I don't see why we should help Anagramma, she said as Tiffany helped her get dry. She just likes putting people down with that sarcastic voice of hers. Anyway, what's it to you? You know she doesn't like you. I thought we've always got on, more or less, said Tiffany. Really? You can do stuff she can't even attempt, like that thing where you go invisible. You do it and you make it look easy, but you come along to the meetings and act like the rest of us and help clear up afterward, and that drives her mad. Look, I don't understand what you're going on about. Lucy picked up another towel. She can't stand the idea that someone's better than her but doesn't crow about it. Why should I do that? said Tiffany, bewildered. Because that's what she'd do if she was you, said Lucy, carefully pushing the knife and fork back into her piled-up hair. All witches are a bit odd. It's best to get your oddness sorted out early. She thinks you're laughing at her. And now, oh my word, she's got to depend on you. You might as well have pushed pins up her nose. But Petulia had signed up, and so Lucy and the rest of them did too. Petulia had become the big success story since she'd won the witch trials with her famous pig trick two years ago. She'd been laughed at, well, by Anagramma, 
and everyone else had sort of grinned awkwardly. But she'd stuck to what she was good at, and people were saying that she'd got skills with animals that even Granny Weatherwax couldn't match. She'd got solid respect, too. People didn't understand a lot of what witches did, but anyone who could get a sick cow back on its feet, well, that person was someone you looked up to. So for the whole coven, after Hogswatch, it was going to be all about anagramma time. Tiffany flew back toward Tiananmen Og with her head spinning. She'd never thought anyone could be envious of her. Okay, she'd picked up one or two things, but anyone could do them. You just had to be able to switch yourself off. She'd sat on the sand of the desert behind the door. She'd faced dogs with razor teeth. They were not things she wanted to remember. And on top of all that, there was the wintersmith. He couldn't find her without the horse. Everyone was sure of that. He could speak in her head, and she could speak to him. But that was a kind of magic and didn't have anything to do with maps. He'd been quiet for a while. He was probably building icebergs. She landed the broomstick on a small bald hill among the trees. There was no cottage to be seen. She climbed off the stick but held onto it just in case. The stars were coming out. The wintersmith liked clear nights. They were colder. And the words came. They were her words in her voice, and she knew what they meant, but they had a sort of echo. Wintersmith, I command you. As she blinked at the high-toned way the words had sounded, the reply came back. The voice was all around her. Who commands the wintersmith? I am the summer lady. Well, she thought, I'm a sort of stand-in. Then why do you hide from me? I fear your ice. I fear your chill. I run from your avalanches. I hide from your storms. Ah, right, this is goddess talk. Live with me in my world of ice. How dare you order me? Don't you dare to order me. But you chose to dwell in my winter. The wintersmith sounded uncertain. I go where I please. I make my own way. I seek the leave of no man. In your country you will honour me, or there will be a reckoning. And that bit is mine, Tiffany thought, pleased to get a word in. There was a long silence filled with uncertainty and puzzlement. Then the wintersmith said, How may I serve you, my lady? No more icebergs looking like me. I don't want to be a face that sinks a thousand ships. And the frost? May we share the frosts and the snowflakes? Not the frosts. You must not write my name on windows. That can only lead to trouble. But I may be permitted to honour you in snowflakes? Er, uh, Tiffany stopped. Goddesses shouldn't say, er. Uh. She was sure of that. Snowflakes will be acceptable, she said. After all, she thought, it's not as though they have my name on them. I mean, most people won't notice. And if they do, they won't know it's me. Then there will be snowflakes, my lady until the time we dance again, and we will, for I am making myself a man. The voice of the wintersmith went. Tiffany was alone again among the trees, except she wasn't. I know you're still there, she said, her breath leaving a sparkle in the air. You are, aren't you? I can feel you. You're not my thoughts. I'm not imagining you. The wintersmith has gone. You can speak with my mouth. Who are you? The wind made snowfall from the trees nearby. The stars twinkled. Nothing else moved. You are there, said Tiffany. You've put thoughts in my head. You've even made my own voice speak to me. That's not going to happen again. 
Now that I know the feeling, I can keep you out. If you have anything to say to me, say it now. When I leave here, I will shut my mind to you. I will not let... How does it feel to be so helpless, sheep girl? You're summer, aren't you? said Tiffany. And you are like a little girl dressing in her mother's clothes. Little feet in big shoes, dress, trailing in the dirt. The world will freeze because of a silly child. Tiffany did something that it would be impossible for her to describe, and the voice ended up like a distant insect. It was lonely on the hill and cold, and all you could do was keep going. You could scream, cry, and stamp your feet, but apart from making you feel warmer, it wouldn't do any good. You could say it was unfair, and that was true, but the universe didn't care because it didn't know what fair meant. That was the big problem about being a witch. It was up to you. It was always up to you. Hogswatch came, with more snow and some presents. Nothing from home, even though some coaches were getting through. She told herself there was probably a good reason, and tried to believe it. It was the shortest day of the year, which was convenient because it fitted neatly with the longest night. This was the heart of winter, but Tiffany didn't expect the present that arrived the next day. It had been snowing hard, but the evening sky was pink and blue and freezing. It came out of the pink evening sky with a whistling noise and landed in Nanny Og's garden, throwing up a shower of dirt and leaving a big hole. Well, that's goodbye to the cabbages, said Nanny, looking out the window. Steam was rising from the hole when they went outside, and there was a strong smell of sprouts. Tiffany peered through the steam. Dirt and stalks covered the thing, but she could make out something rounded. She let herself slide farther into the hole, right down amid the mud and steam and the mysterious thing. It wasn't very hot now, and as she scraped stuff away, she began to have a nasty feeling that she knew what it was. It was, she was sure, the thingy that Anoya had talked about. It looked mysterious enough, and as it emerged from the mud, she knew she'd seen it before. Are you all right down there? I can't see you for all this steam, Nanny Og called. By the sound of it, the neighbours had come running. There was some excited chattering. Tiffany quickly scraped mud and mashed cabbages over the arrival and called up, I think this might explode. Tell everyone to get indoors, and then reach down and grab my hand, will you? There was some shouting above her and the sound of running feet. Nanny Og's hand appeared, waving around in the fog, and between them they got Tiffany out of the hole. Shall we hide under the kitchen table? said Nanny as Tiffany tried to brush mud and cabbage off her dress. Then Nanny winked. If it is going to explode. Her son Sean came around the house with a bucket of water in each hand and stopped, looking disappointed that there was nothing to do with them. What was it, Mum? he panted. Nanny looked at Tiffany, who said, Ah, uh, a giant rock fell out of the sky. Giant rocks can't stay up in the sky, miss, said Sean. I expect that's why this one fell down, lad, said Nanny briskly. If you want to do something useful, you can stand guard and make sure nobody comes near it. What shall I do if it explodes, Mum? Come and tell me, will you? said Nanny. She hurried Tiffany into the cottage, shut the door behind them, and said, I'm a dreadful old liar, Tiff, and it takes one to know one. What's down there? Well, I don't think it's going to explode, said Tiffany, and if it did, I think the worst that'll happen is that we'll be covered in coleslaw. I think it's the cornucopia. There was the sound of voices outside, and the door was flung open. 
Blessings be upon this house, said Granny Weatherwax, stamping snow off her boots. Your boy said I shouldn't come in, but I think he was wrong. I came as quick as I could. What's happened? We've got cornucopias, said Nanny Og, whatever they are. 